Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into John chapter number 13, where we left off yesterday was at verse 18, but we're going to start back up at verse 13 just for context as we kind of remember where we were yesterday, dealing with the washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus. And then we're moving forward to some really amazing things, because here in John chapter number 13, you're, you're about to be told by our Lord Himself that you are capable of doing much greater things than he did while he was on this earth. That's something that's kind of a shocker to us often because who's greater than our Lord Jesus? And yet we discover that as one man trapped inside of the body of that flesh that he was, there was only so much that he could do so far he could go, so many people in his lifetime of the flesh that he could make contact with. However, at his departure and in his return, as he breathes upon his disciples and, and commands them, receive you the Holy Ghost. And as we to this day who have come to faith in Jesus have been sealed by the Holy Spirit that is, that is our earnest of the basically the down payment, until the time of our redemption, we are able to reach the world in such a manner as that Jesus in his flesh never was able to. Now we understand that indeed the very Holy Spirit inside of us leading us to an understanding of the Word of God is what is going out uh, through our vessels to communicate the glory of God to the world around us as we share the gospel with others that they hear the Word and that they come to faith. We understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But if our mouths weren't working and our feet weren't going and our hands weren't reaching out, he'd be limited to just the vessel that you happen to be there. So praise the Lord for the willingness that you have in serving the Lord. Praise the Lord for the willingness for your, your desire to go and to grow and to learn and to share because that just makes the world touched by the gospel of Jesus. So, a lot of great things to get into today. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer, asking for His blessing. Then we'll start off verse number 13 and read down. Father, we're grateful again for the blessing that you give us each day. We're able to connect together with the Word of God opened before us, the desire of our heart to grow thereby, and receiving the, the promises, receiving the truth, understanding who Jesus is a little better each day, growing in our desire to, to make him known. And Father, the joy of the Holy Spirit that we, we know within us is having every day that he has contact with the Word of God through us in a fellowship and communion with you, Lord, is a blessing. We pray that you will continue to use us, Lord, bless us, Lord, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, in the reading of our section today, we're going to start back up in verse number 13 and just read on past, and we'll, we'll just keep cruising from 21, which would be our second section, clear down to 30. So, the scripture says to us today, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, that whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. And now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. The betrayer. (laughs) <laughs> Judas Iscariot. Again, I, I remind you, Judas is actually Judah, Judah ben Shimon would be his whole name because he's Judas, the son of Simon. So it would be Judah ben Shimon. But he's known as Iscariot by God. It is already understood that this is the betrayer who is going to betray Jesus. Uh, it's amazing to me how this this plays out because Jesus knows exactly who's who he has chosen. And he says this, and we're going to look at that for a few minutes, but we've got to, to catch up to where we, we left off yesterday. And so we're dealing with the washing of the disciples' feet. If you recall, Jesus, at the time when you reached the, between the second cup of the Seder meal and the third cup of the Seder meal, you have this... You have this dinner, essentially, that you're going to have together. Usually, it's uh, well, during the days of Jesus, it would be lamb. So, you'd be offering up lamb for the people in the house in remembrance of, of what it was for Exodus chapter number 12. You would have some bitter herbs like parsley and things of that nature in the house. You'd have some salt water there to be able to dip your parsley in. The salt water is a remembrance of the bitter tears that the, the people had had poured out in their, in their time of, of slavery before the exodus takes place. There, there's so much to this feast. We, we reach this middle point, and then we have this, this conversation that's going to come from Jesus. So as the disciples would say that he'd sent, he'd sent Judas out, as we had just finished reading, that it was assumed he was buying food for the meal. But the reality is, is that there is no meal as concerning the, the 
chicken as they would have today or the lamb or those different things like matzah ball soup or any of the other fineries that would be provided, all which would be very bland and prepared at a moment's notice. And I've had the meal a couple of times before, and though I think there were some additional spices that would have been added to it for the blessing of it uh, being good, uh, I'm pretty sure at the time of Exodus that folks were just eating what they had and, and prepared to go because they had to have shoes on their feet and a coat on their back, and they ate standing up. I mean, the when you look at Exodus chapter number 12 and all of the things that were, were spoken of for the people to be ready to go for their deliverance, this would have been much the same except for the reclining at the table. So you've got this scenario where, where Jesus, at the time where it would be a preparation for the meal, people would ceremonially be pouring a basin of water and they would be pouring it over their hands as it was to reveal that they were clean and prepared to be able to take up the meal. Instead of that, Jesus takes the basin of water that is prepared for this moment. He gets down on his hands and knees with an apron draped around him, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Why? Because it's not their hands that are the problem. Jesus was taking a material thing, a physical thing, and he was bringing out a spiritual truth behind it. It's not their hands that are the problem. It's their feet that is the problem. Their feet is con are constantly contacting the world. Their feet are constantly dirty. You wash your hands all throughout the day, and they're relatively clean at any given point of the day. And, and you wash your whole body on a, on a regular basis for the purpose of being clean at any given time. But the feet, the feet of this people during this period of time were the, were the average type of shoe that would be worn on the foot, if any shoe at all would be worn on the foot, would be some type of latched sandal that, that the feet are going to stay constantly dirty. It would be the only part of the body that would remain filthy all the time. And the feet, in this case, are representative of the heart. And so that Jesus gets down on his hands and knees to clean this disciple's feet for the purpose of revealing to them the very nature of their heart. You see, it's not the rest of them that is the, the issue or the, the filthy place. It's that heart of the matter that really is that seat of sin within any given human being. But Jesus is the one who has authority to be able to clean the heart perfectly. Jesus is the one who, who gets down and dirty with you so that he can get you clean. And, and that's why he's on his knees. He's got that apron. He's pouring that water on the disciples' feet. He's washing their feet. And you come across yesterday, Peter. Now, nobody else is saying it. But everybody else is thinking it. Now, Peter will say it because Peter's big mouth and he's prepared to, to take the charge and do all that he's got to do, right? So Peter challenges Jesus and says, you're my Lord. You're not supposed to be washing my feet. Don't do that. So Jesus said, well, look, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have a part with me. Well, of course, Peter Taking on that logic, he flips that over and he says, well, then don't stop at my feet. Praise God, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my, wash me. 
And Jesus told him, you're clean all over, but your feet remain in contact with the world's. Your feet, I have need to wash. Your heart, son, your desire, your intellect, that's what I've got to get clean. Needless to say, he comes down, and that's where we started our reading today. He said, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord. He says, you're right, I am. And he goes to prove the point, because like we said yesterday, you've got a table full of people who should have served each other already. It's not like they haven't been walking with Jesus for the last three years. They should have taken care of each other. They should have taken care of their Lord. They should have honored him as Mary did by washing his feet with the very hairs of her head, by, by anointing them with such a blessed oil. But they didn't, and they still haven't. And it isn't even something that comes across their mind at this moment. They're just busy thinking about everything that's possible to come upon them by the arrest that they know is imminent for Jesus. And so he has to jerk them out of their little bubble world by doing things like washing their feet, something that should have been done for him, something that should have been done by them for them. They just weren't taking care of each other. They just weren't thinking about each other. They just weren't thinking about Jesus. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, you're right, I am. He said, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you better start taking care of one another's feet, plain and simple. He said, I have given you an example that you should do just as I've done for you. And can you ask for any better? The best leaders I've had the privilege of being able to serve under while I was in the military were those leaders that either did the task so that you would be able to see how it was done and know how to do it, or that they would come alongside you and do that task with you so that they would have a better understanding or so that you guys could figure it out together. But never were my favorite leaders the kind of people who would simply command you to go do a job having never done it and having never seen it or, or known anything about it just simply because they're the leader and you're the stooge that they, w- they would just command you to go do things without knowledge. It's not to say that I didn't have a few of those guys uh, in, in the leadership role from time to time. But it certainly means that I did what was asked of me because of the difference of rank, but had no respect for those human beings whatsoever because the only reason why their their uh, requirement would be met be, would be because of their rank. Otherwise, who are you? But there are several leaders that I've had whom I would, even to this day, if they called me up and said, hey, Jason, I need a hand. This is what I need done. I do it in a heartbeat. And the reason why I do it in a heartbeat is because I know that they've all, they've been there, they've done that, and they, they are willing to be alongside of you. They just can't be there because they've got something else they got to take care of. But that's, that's great leadership in my estimation. And the reason why it's my estimation that's great leadership is it's exactly what Jesus did. 
Jesus didn't smash his hand on the table and say, okay, who's going to wash my feet? You know, I'm the Lord here. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't go screaming at his disciples saying, what's wrong with you people? Why don't you take care of each other? Why haven't you washed each other's feet? Why haven't you cleaned each other up? What, don't you know who you're supposed to represent? Don't you know anything? <laughs> Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus put an apron around his waist, got down on his hands and knees, and got to work. And, and with the silence of a room of people that, that all are thinking what Peter said, but none but Peter are going to say anything because of how shocked they are in that moment that Jesus would do such a thing. That when it was all said and done, Jesus would then go to them and he would say, what I've done to you for the rest of your life, you go do for your brethren. There's nothing like it. That's powerful. I love Jesus for it too. And it comes down and he says, Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, so a servant is not greater than a master, well, obviously because of the relationship between the two, right? One is a servant, as always a servant, is never going to be more than the servant. And the other, the master, who is always the master, who will always be the master. Now, the servant can in every way be like his master. But the servant will never be the master. Well, in like manner, a messenger is always a messenger. Never is he the one that crafts the message. Neither is he the one that... That, that would know what the message would be until it is given unto him, for all that he is is the messenger. And so we understand that the one who sends the messenger is always going to be greater than the very messenger that is sent. Now, the messenger, upon delivery of the message, can carry the very tone of he who sent him, can carry the very understanding of, of what was sent so that explanation can be given for any question that could be in curiosity asked. Uh, the, the messenger could have a knowledge that is like the one who sent him with the message. But again, the messenger is always going to be the messenger. And the one who sent him it's always going to be greater. Now, messengers, Christians, you are the ones who are called by the one who sends, by the Father. You are the ones who are meant to carry the message of the Father unto this world. And you are the ones who are empowered by the Son to be able to carry the Father's message into this world, for in that he put the Holy Spirit inside of you to bring the message alive to those around you through you. I hope that that sunk in, because <laughs> it's a very powerful truth. Jesus said, verse number 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He said, I'm not speaking of you all. Of course, you understand that he's in this upper room. He's dealing with his 12 disciples, but really he's talking to 11 disciples because he knows that one 
is going to betray him. He said, I'm not talking to you all. Then it goes forward to say this one statement, which is very powerful. I know whom I have chosen. And that that's extremely important because when you look at the overall disciples, essentially those that are following Jesus happen to be roughly approximately 72 individuals as a whole of the disciples. Certainly uh, after John chapter number 6, it says many walked away and didn't follow him anymore, and I get that, but, but roughly estimation, you got about 72 disciples. Now, out of that 72, Jesus has 12. Out of that 12, Jesus knows that he only has 11 because he's already had his eye on Judas the Iscariot for some time. And out of that 11, he's got three, Peter, James, and John. And they are his absolute closest disciples, That those are the people that are closest to him. So when you see Jesus in verse number 18, he said, I know whom I have chosen you realize that you really can't kind of get an idea as to the the different groups of people that are chosen within the groups of people, okay? Because Peter, James, and John guaranteed disciples, right? But John, above Peter and James, John of his own self is the one laying upon Jesus asking the questions for Peter, which... It's funny because you know Jesus is already connected to this train of thought. Jesus is already picking up everything that's happening in the room, so he already knows what's being being signaled or motioned. He's, he's on it already. But John being that closest to Jesus. So th- these things we got to kind of pull in and, and recognize, we understand. So Jesus said, I know who I've chosen. And it, this is a Calvinist dream right here because the very fact that Jesus would make known the the reality of those whom he's chosen from those that he knows have already rejected him even though they've been playing the fool this whole time and that the disciples don't even recognize that that there is a betrayer among them that but Jesus knows who belongs to him Jesus knows who doesn't belong to him Jesus has chosen those whom he has chosen and the others, it shows that he has rejected. So this is a Calvinist dream, such a thought. Now, Jesus also goes forward to say, but the scripture will be fulfilled. This is a future happening. Of course, we understand, again, in our omniscience of the events that would take place this period of time, that indeed Jesus is going to be betrayed. Indeed, it's going to be Judas is going to kiss him on the cheek. Indeed, it's 30 pieces of silver that that bought the price of the Son of God's life. Indeed, we get all of that. So, this is a future event. The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, one thing that I want to look at right here, because Jesus said, as it is written, so consider the connections that Jesus is making, such as Psalm 41 and verse number 9. It says in verse number 9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So, Jesus making a quote of, of the very scripture of Psalm 41 9 in recognition that he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me that is a direct quote from the Psalms 
And Jesus said, I'm telling you this now, verse number 19, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is saying, I'm letting you know these things ahead of time. I'm giving you a taste of omniscience, by the way. Letting you know these things are going to happen so that when they do happen, you'll be able to look back upon them and remember what I told you so that you have an assurance of your faith in me that I am he. Now, it's important to understand that he says, when you when it does take place, that you may believe. Because when this actually does happen, these guys are going to be freaked out. They're not even going to be paying attention. All throughout the scripture, you're going to find that it says, when they remembered what Jesus said to them, then they, they believed. Same thing's going to be true in this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Now, this would be us today. As we go forth with the gospel upon our lips into the, the communities and into the shops and into the, the homes and lives of, of our friends and our family, as, and they receive us and rejoice in the message that we bring to them, as they receive us, they are receiving Jesus because that's exactly the gospel that we seek to bring into this people. He says, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now you've got a chain train coming along, right? The chain of connection is that if you invite me into your home as I come to share the gospel with you, then you have invited Jesus into your home. And because the gospel has come to you, as you have invited me into your home, which is the same as inviting Jesus into your home, because you've invited Jesus into your home, you've invited the Father into your home. Because this is the connection. And to hear the Father's word the gospel concerning his son's atoning work for you on the cross of Calvary and to receive that, that word of God in your heart to believe in Jesus is to receive the Father. So if you receive the messenger, then you receive the one who sent the messenger and you receive the one who authorizes the one who sends the messenger, you're sealed. <laughs> <laughs> it can get convoluted to try and explain, but you get the point. You're sealed. If you receive the one that Jesus sends, you receive Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, you receive the Father. It's that simple. It comes down, and, and after saying these things, Jesus has said a great deal, and, and is after he says these things that he was troubled in his spirit, and he testifies, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. It's on. Somebody's going to betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Now, not all of the disciples heard him. That's one theory. That's one theory. A secondary theory, which is kind of where I hang out, is that all the disciples heard him, and one of those disciples had to begin a show. Now, what I mean by that is that Jesus, when he said, one of you will betray me, it says that the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Now, that, that tells me that either 
the the very few group of disciples that were closest to Jesus really heard what he was saying because of the chatter that was happening in the room by by other disciples because you see that Lord's Supper table, you see this really long table, so you got the guys on the fringes of the table on the outskirts that might not have heard what Jesus might have whispered at the middle of the table where you've got John and essentially John, James, Peter, and, and Thomas maybe in that little local area so that these few disciples as they heard what he said would be looking at each other like is it you is it me is it who who is it and i mean there was a curiosity obviously that peter was close enough to where he would say okay you know hand signals uh to to john to say hey ask the master who it's gonna be because i want to know if it's me i want to know <laughs> like jesus is gonna tell you it's you it's you. And then say, stick around, enjoy the meal. <laughs> no, it didn't happen that way. But nevertheless, I believe that even Judas the Iscariot heard what Jesus said, and he'd already planned for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He's already looking for a window of opportunity to be able to, to, to get out of there and get him arrested. But he can't let on that he's the guy that's going to be the betrayer. He's got to play along with everybody else. So when he hears what Jesus has to say, and, and he realizes, oh boy, Jesus figured it out. Jesus is on to, to this group. But even in him, he's thinking, well, maybe Jesus doesn't exactly know that it's me. So let me see if I can get around this a little bit. So he plays along. He plays the fool. He looks at the other guys, and they're looking at him, and everybody's looking at each other with the same level of innocence as it was upon their face, even though there's one that is prepared to betray him. He's an excellent spy within the camp, is all I've got to say. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. This is a funny way that John often refers to himself in, in the gospel here, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, of course, he's speaking of a third person, but really he's just writing himself into this. Instead of saying, I, John, it's, it's, it's a measure of humility that he would say the one whom Jesus loved because he's just not willing to make a big ado of himself. And so he says, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. We know exactly who that is. Simon Peter mentioned or motioned to him to ask Jesus who he was speaking. Now, whatever sign language that was, I'm fairly certain that Jesus would recognize it. And I'm pretty sure that it would be fairly obvious that, that, that Peter was doing this. But Peter probably uh, certainly thought that he was being incognito as it was about like a bull in a china shop, Peter was. Anyways, he says, so Simon Peter motioned to him and asked Jesus who he was speaking. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, it's so fantastic that the relationship that you'll find between John and Jesus, because they they really do just have this this intimacy that Peter couldn't possibly have with his master. For Peter, maybe because of his age or maybe because of his occupation and the life that he lived, certainly all of those things will come into the factors. 
but but Peter is more of a very gruff, very very tough, very independent kind of of person, and so he would never just just have that kind of relationship where he could just lean upon Jesus and say, "Who is it, Lord?" And Peter knows that. That's why he's signaling this John. Now, don't get me wrong. John comes from the same area Peter does. John comes from the same occupation Peter came from, right? When when Jesus was, was selecting his disciples all the way back at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it was Peter, Andrew, James, and John that were all together out on the boats there around Galilee. So, it's not that, that John comes from a different scenario than Peter does as far as occupation, as far as what he's, what he's been doing. But as James and John come from Zebedee, their father, and is separate from, from Peter and Andrew, that we would find that indeed what, the way in which they were brought up, the way in which they were trained. So John just became brother to Jesus I mean, literally to the point where Jesus on the cross of Calvary is going to entrust the care of his mom, Mary, to John, his disciple, instead of Jude or or Andrew or James or any of the other even family members of Jesus in the same home. He commits them to John. So that that's how close John is to Jesus. And as he leans over and he says, Who is it, Lord? It's not from the perspective that John is the betrayer of Jesus. John, there's just no way that was ever going to pan out. It wasn't ever going to happen. But John really does desire to know. So Jesus answers him. He says at verse 26, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And that, that you couldn't get a better key than that because Jesus is holding the very morsel of bread that he's prepared to give. Now, Will they understand it? Will they see? So Jesus, he takes that bread and he dips it. And he passes it directly over to Judas. Does John then look over at Simon Peter and go, <laughs> you know, I mean, because he, he has the information that he needs. He has everything he needs to know. It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread that I've dipped it. When I've dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot. So verse number 27, it says, after you take the morsel, look what it says right there. Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Satan entered into him. Now, how am I supposed to take that? How am I supposed to take that scripture? Am I supposed to take that scripture as that, that Judas was sitting in that upper room without any idea that he was bound to betray Jesus? That, that there was any idea that that he had a desire in the first place to turn Jesus over, that Judas was was actually a fairly decent fellow that just happened to be a part of the plan of God for the turning in of Jesus to Rome, and so that it required that old devil literally coming in to, to Judas to cause him to take the steps and actions necessary to be able to betray the Son of Man so that he could turn Jesus over to the Romans in just an hour, couple hours from now. So the reality of what I, what I really do believe is that Judas didn't need a lot of Satan's encouragement to be able to hate Jesus. We already know that Judas was put on notice 
uh, and rebuked by Jesus when Mary had put that ointment on his feet. Judas complained about it and said she should have sold it and given the money to the poor. Uh, Jesus chastised him then. We know that Judas has been chastised a few times by Jesus and that there really isn't any love lost through uh, Judas toward Jesus. I mean, hey, if he gets arrested, he gets arrested. If he gets killed, he gets killed. Whatever. I'm just enjoying the money that I'm making while I'm following these guys. So we know that Judas is not a saint by any stretch of the measure. We also know that Judas does what benefits Judas the most. And if betraying Jesus earns him 30 silver coin, Judas is not uh, doesn't have a problem with that. Except for one issue, I think. And this is why I believe that indeed Satan does enter Judas. is because for all that Judas is, there's one thing that he is more than the rest. He's hateful. He's, dis- he's spiteful. He's, he's a grumbler and a groaner. But he's too much of a coward to actually take action. He's not an action guy. He's a coward, this Judas, always hiding among the disciples. You see, when Jesus said, one of you is to betray me, I firmly believe that Judas knew he was the one that was going to do it. He just didn't have the courage to do it. <laughs> That's the case. He, he had the money. He had the plan. He had an idea, but he just didn't have the fortitude of being a man enough to do the job. So I think it was necessary for Satan, as is revealed by the scripture, to go into him to get his feet moving, to get him engaged to actually do this deed. Because otherwise, he'd be a sniveling little runt about it and he wouldn't ever accomplish it. That's the kind of guy that I see Judas as being. And so Jesus even tells him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, Jesus doesn't want to play no more games. He, does, he knows this is his time. He knows that this is the, the case. He understands that he's before his betrayer and that he, he's got it all known. It's all figured out at this point. The only thing that needs to happen is everything so let's get it done. That's my Jesus. That's the kind of Jesus and, and, and the reality of the biblical Jesus that I absolutely love is that he's, he is the shepherd that gets it done. He says, what you've got to do, get to it. <laughs> I love Jesus on that because Jesus did. He didn't just talk about Jesus did. He didn't sit there talking about what it was to wash people's feet and all of this other business. Jesus just put the apron on, got down on his knees, did the job. And once the job was done, Jesus said, you saw what I just did? Y'all do it from now on. I mean, that's that's awesome. That's the kind of leader. A Judas sniveling runt. Just horrible. And And... You know, now that I think about it, uh, because my my oldest daughter, she just finished watching this series of of movies called The Hobbit. And if you're familiar with with The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, in in that particular first uh, three films called The Hobbit, there there is this human being guy 
that is an absolute wretch that was a servant to the king that was that was over this lake town place and that little sniveling runt is exactly the way that i would see judas iscariot his attitudes his actions the whole nine yards that's judas a hundred percent so those of you who have seen it you know exactly what i'm talking about and you know what I'm saying about Judas right now, it's got a good picture in your mind. Jesus said a few things the disciples, as you're about to discover, are, are dense and completely missed. He said, one of you is going to betray me. Everybody's looking at each other saying, I'm, who in the world's going to betray him? Simon motions over to, to uh, John, ask who, who it's going to be. John asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus says, the one who takes the morsel of bread that after I've dipped it, that's the one that's going to betray me. So once Jesus just finished saying that, dipped the, and handed it to Judas, there's your answer right there. Guess what? They missed it. They all missed it. Once more, they missed it. Why? Because as soon as Jesus gave that morsel he said what you're going to do do quickly and it shows us in verse number 28 he says no one at the table knew why he said this to judas <laughs> now 29 some thought that because judas had the money bag that jesus was telling him buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor nobody got it so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Of course, we understand that it's a brand new day, right? That the Feast of Seder would begin at sundown, which would then start a brand new day according to the Hebrew calendar and the way that the days work with Hebrews. So, so by the time Judas takes off out of there, you're sitting at two hours. Let's say it started at 6.30, you're sitting at 8.30 at night. At that point, the sun's gone down, uh, so he's gone to do what he's got to do. But look at these disciples, guys. No one at the table knew why Jesus said this to Judas. Hey, John, Jesus told you who was going to betray him when he gave that morsel of bread. Hey, it, no one recognized this? There's some dense people, or there's some people who just aren't listening, even though Jesus is talking. Now, let me say this by way of closing as we enter into verse number 31. Tomorrow, we're guilty. We're guilty of being a Peter. We're guilty of being a John, a, a James, an Andrew, a Thomas. We're guilty, and I'll tell you why. It's because there's plenty that the Word of God has spoken to our heart about, and there's very little that we've actually received from it. Now, granted, there's some things that we're just not going to be able to bear at the moment because we we still got some growing to do, and, and the Lord said that the Spirit of Truth has come to us to make known the Word of God to us as we're able to bear it. Now, I understand that. But there are plenty of things that we know we should be doing that we don't do. There's plenty of things that we know that we shouldn't be doing that we do all the time. There's plenty, of, there's plenty of people we know we should be reaching out to, but we're not reaching out to them. There, there are plenty of things that Jesus has, has directly commanded us. I mean, Jesus has directly spoken to us and told us these things. And we've, we've, we've read the Bible. 
We've heard the sermons. We've listened to the messages. But we're still not doing it. So as much as I pick on John for not having recognized the reality that it was Judas, and as much as I pick on Peter for denying Jesus at that burn barrel, and we pick on Thomas for saying, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it, and all these other things, everything that is revealed about those guys is the truth about every one of us. Because all of those attitudes and all of those, those traits of those people are the same as the traits we have. God, own it, guys. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you this day that we're able to gather together in this moment, in the Spirit, Lord, to receive of the morsels of bread that you have prepared for us. It's tough to say it that way, Father, because we know that it was that one morsel of bread that was dipped in the cup that was handed to Judas that was the key to recognition of the one who would betray Jesus. But, Father, we pray that you will just be with us. Help us to understand this. Help us to receive it. Give us courage, Lord, not to be like a coward, like a, like a Judas, as it would be said. <coughs> Give us courage, Lord, to... To serve you well. Just as old Satan had to jump into Judas and and get his feet going to do the evil that was necessary to betray the Son of Man. We pray for thy Holy Spirit that be within us to get our feet going so that we may go and serve the very King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, thank you, Father, and praise you for the way in which we receive the blessing of your truth today. So having been filled by this bread of life, Lord, that we may be able to be encouraged, be strengthened, the tasks that lie before us. We'll praise you and thank you for all you do in us, with us, and through us. In the blessed name of Jesus this day. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. And we'll talk to you tomorrow as we start up in verse number 31 of John 13. Y'all take care.